Aren't you glad you're in church rather than the hospital? Yeah. Praise God, I'll tell you, what a joy to be back with you. And I think you're all going to be Susa-ized by the end, of day, and the end of the day after being with you for uh, so many times, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. I certainly appreciate those of you that took time to remember our trip last weekend up to uh, northern Vermont in the Burlington area, Access, uh, Essex Junction. Uh, Friday went up, beautiful sunshine day, and dry roads and light traffic, had a wonderful time up there, had a great service uh, that Friday night, and then Saturday, snowed. The last 30 or something years, I don't know, 33, 34 years have been gone up there, always snowed. I got down to one degree, one more, we'd lose one more, we'd have no more degrees left. <laughs> it went down to one degree, and... Uh, about maybe three, four inches of snow. So uh, it, it did affect the services somewhat. And a lot of those folks live up in the mountains and stove Vermont and everything. And found it hard to get out. But uh, the services were live streamed. And at one point, I guess we had 139 people uh, watching the services on live stream. So that was good. But I'd rather look at people than cameras. Uh, it's good looking out and seeing your, your faces. But thank you. We had a great, great service uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and a wonderful trip home. And it's good to be back with you uh, again, and good to see Pastor back with us. Isn't that a blessing? Uh, I know how his heart feels. I really do, and uh, we're so thankful. But I'm so thankful that you have kept things going. Uh, he, you have good organization, and I heard about a church that in one Sunday... Just one Sunday, they lost their janitor, the secretary, the, uh, the, maintenance, the maintenance man, the head of all the committees and everything, and was the committee, all because the pastor got sick. <laughs> and he was doing all of that. And uh, we're so thankful for folks that pitched in. And we're all in it together, Amen. That's a, uh, this is not a cruise ship operation. Everybody's part of the crew. <laughs> and we all have, we all have a, a, a job to do. Uh, you know, and I look at the world and I say, where is it going? Look at the mess that we're in. I mean, are you agree with me on that? This world's a mess. Society is a mess. And, and, and people say, well... You know, it's kind of like that guy that was, I might have told you, but he was driving home from work and just got on the interstate and his wife called him and said, uh, honey, honey, are you on the interstate yet? He said, yes, honey, I've been on for about five minutes. He goes, oh, honey, be careful, be careful. It's all over the news. It's on television. It's on the radio. It's all over the news. I said, well, what's that? He said, some nut on the interstate is going the wrong way. And he says, oh, no, honey, not one. There's hundreds of them. And sometimes I guess your opponents say, there's the problem, there's the problem, there's the problem. And uh, maybe we need to look at ourselves. Hmm? Maybe look at, maybe, are we going the right way? Are we going God's way? If you don't go God's way, you're going to be in trouble. You know, the Bible, the Bible is a most wonderful book. The Bible is a 
people don't understand the Bible. You know what they think the Bible is? A bunch of rules, a bunch of uh, do's and don'ts, and, you know, uh, don't do this or that's going to happen. And do, and it's not a rule book. I hope folks will understand that. But no other book in all the history of mankind has changed people's lives nor altered the course of society more than the Bible. Uh, when you were, if you were ever to visit our nation's capital, you will see all over the monuments. You will see it in the Lincoln Memorial, in the Jefferson Memorial, the Washington Memorial. If you go to Philadelphia, you see the Liberty Bell. You will see inscriptions of the word of God wherever you go. Our founding fathers knew that the right way was God's way. Unfortunately, we think we know better and want to go uh, our, our way. But many people don't understand what the Bible is all about. It's not a book of do's and don'ts. It's not a book of rules. Uh, it's much like your car manual. You know, you buy an, uh, an automobile, and you get a manual with it. And if you're smart, at least you'll look at it. <laughs> it won't tell you how to drive, but it tells you all about the car. And the Bible is kind of like God's manual for you and, and, and for me. And just as your car has a manual and it tells you, maybe it says, okay, your car is manufactured by Ford or Chevy or Toyota or Nissan. It's somebody, somebody made that automobile. Well, the Bible tells us that somebody made you. You are created in the image of God. Just as that automobile had a process to, be, to come into existence, so God brought you into this world. An automobile is not just a mishap of, of, of nature. It's not just come out of some steel factory and some rubber factory and plastic factory and a bunch of electronics. Somebody put it all together. And our lives and our bodies are just like that. You are not an accident. You are a divine creation of the divine creator. And God has a plan for you. Uh, just as a, a, a car had an engineer and was designed, assembled, and delivered, uh, and so God engineered human life. Well, not by just looking at this. She's around here somewhere. Oh, she might be in a nursery now. A little, little Mabel, Mabel over there, little three, three months old. How cute she is. When you don't have girls and you raised four boys, you know, every little girl wins, wins your heart over, you know. And just as well, because if you had little girls, I mean, she'd have me wrapped around her little finger. I know she would, you know. And when you look at that, you say, how can you say that that is just a product of some type of evolutionary process? No, it had a creator. It had a designer. And so are we. Uh, a mo an owner's manual in your car uh, will will tell you uh, how to maintain that car. It says uh, when to change the oil, or uh, what kind of oil to, to change, what maintenance is due after so many uh, uh, mileage there. Uh, the, and that is to ensure the longevity and the operation of that vehicle. In much the same way, God in the Bible gives us a maintenance schedule. He knows what we need in our life. He knows what we need in our living. And he, and he wants our life to be prosperous and he wants our life uh, to be joyful and he wants our life to be uh, useful. Uh, and, and, and so the manual tells us what kind of fuel to use and, and, and all. And there's even some warnings also in a car manual, doesn't it? it? It tells you, don't do this and don't put this type of fluid in it. And if, you know, if the oil light come on, don't run the engine. <laughs> you know? And there's some warnings in there that if you use the wrong kind of oil or you use the wrong kind of transmission fluid, so there's some warnings in there that that is going to permanently damage the automobile. God, God has warnings as well in the Bible for 
you and for me. And a wise person would heed those warnings for their automobile, and a wiser person would heed those warnings uh, from the word of God as well. Now, God made you for a plan, and God made you for a purpose. Sometimes when I'm talking to college students, they will make a statement, and one young lady came to me with tears in her eyes. She says, I don't even know why I was born. I don't even know why I'm here. She opened up her heart a little bit, told me somewhat of her background, which was heartbreaking. Say to some of the young people that are here, learn to appreciate your parents that love you. She grew up in a home with no love. She was able to do anything she wanted to do as long as you stay out of my hair. Took a toll on her life. She went to college looking for some answers of life and only got more confused. She come to church, sat under the preaching of the word of God for a while, and then realized that God had a plan and purpose for her being on this earth. And she gave her heart over to God for that plan and for that purpose. It changed everything about her. The Bible also has a, a lot of history in it. And you can learn a lot about where the world came from and where it is today. And in Judges chapter 6, if you turn there in your Bible, in Judges chapter 6, we have a period of history, history in the life of Israel. Judges in the sixth chapter. It's a time of oppression and despair for the nation. Everybody was living in fear. Everybody had anxiety. Everybody seemed to have some type of turmoil in their life, and nobody had, had, had any peace. And it was because of a group of people that were called the Midianites. These Midianites were a thorn in the flesh to the people of Israel. They would come down and steal their crops and force the Israelites to hide in caves. Every time they came, people would run away in caves lest they be captured or killed by the Midianites. The Midianites stole all that Israel had. In verse number four, uh, it, 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 it tells us, and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth. In other words, every time they had fields grow with corn or wheat or barley, whatever it was, at harvest time, the Midianites would come down and take it all away from them. And they'd be left to whatever might have been left on the ground. Whenever they raised a herd of cattle, of sheep, or of oxen, whatever it may be, and it began to multiply, the Midianites would come and take it all away from them. Now, why this happened is found in verse number one. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. It all started with their disobedience to God. I think there was a time in America when people were a little more at peace with themselves. Families were together. You could read about some of the older history. There will always be hard times. There's no question and no doubt about that. 
the people came together in home and in family. Now dinner time means nothing in a lot of homes. Nobody gathers at the table. There's no giving of grace before the food they eat to give thanksgiving to the Lord. Everybody sits there on their own personal devices. We were, I think I might have mentioned to you some, oh, a while back we were traveling across country and it was getting around dinner time and uh, we were looking for a place to stop and we saw a billboard that says Chick-fil-A and we like Chick-fil-A, that's always good stuff. And When you get there, they had a little box called a chicken coop and you put your phone in the chicken coop and you don't use your phone during the mealtime. The purpose was to encourage conversation. And if nobody touched their phone during the entire mealtime, everybody gets free ice cream. <laughs> we got free ice cream. <laughs> but that little thing starts buzzing. That little thing starts going off. And all of a sudden, we got to look and we got to say, it just controls our lives so much. A lot of fear. There are better times in our nation. But they forgot God. You cannot forget God and get away with it. Oh, you'll exist for a while. A man says, I don't need God to live. Well, that may be true, but you sure need him when you die. And you can get along and you can say, I got my job. I got my health. Uh, for now. You could lose your job within the next day or two. You could lose your health the same way a sudden pain and go to the hospital and turns into something serious. We just don't know. We just don't know. But notice verse number, we see why it happened. In verse number one, they forsook the Lord. But notice verse six, and Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And notice what they did. They cried unto the Lord. They cried unto God. They said, God, we need help. Why do folks wait so long for that? I've heard of folks that go to the doctor and a doctor examines them and does x-rays and MRIs and everything else, CAT scans and whatever they do nowadays. And they often ask the patient, how long have you had this pain? Oh, I've had it for a long time. Says, Why did you wait so long to come in? It could have been a very simple, easy thing to handle. And you've heard it said, taking care of things early or of a cancer or anything early is a whole lot easier than later on after it has consumed so much of the bodily organs. They had enough. They came to a time in their life, they said, God, we need you. And they cried unto God. Now, one day in this passage of scripture, you will read about him, there was a man his name was called Gideon. And God told them that God called him to deliver the people. He said, Gideon, I have chosen you to deliver this nation from the oppression of the Midianites. And he said, if you'll do it, I will be with you. If you do it, I'll help you. I am so glad to know that Jesus said, I'll never leave thee, I'll never forsake thee. I've had friends, close friends, forsake me. 
I hear of even in marriage sometimes in vows that are made, people forsaking each other. But I want to tell you today, my friend, Jesus will never forsake you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He is God, and you take God's word on that. Well, God told Gideon, if you do it, I'll be with you. But Gideon said in the passage of scripture, Gideon says, I can't do it. Ever felt that way? <laughs> you ever felt God wanted you to do something? And you say, I can't do it. I just can't. Then we could understand that Gideon uh, said, Lord, look, uh, I'm just a farmer. I'm, I'm not a soldier. I'm not military. Uh, I'm just a a farmer, and I'm a poor farmer at that. But not only am I a poor farmer, I'm the poor farmer among the poor farmers. <laughs> he says, I just can't do it. Have you felt like, I'm just not cut out for this? Have you ever felt God wanted you to do something and you said, Lord, I, I, it's not, it's not, I, I can't do this. I can't do it. And we struggle with self-identity and worth. At the end of a youth rally, not so long ago, one of young people, a teenager, was there, came up to me and boldly in my face said, I hate myself and I hate life. Again, a terrible story of Childhood, but it could happen in good families as well. She says, I just hate myself. But God said, I've called you, Gideon, and I've chosen you to do this. And Gideon said, Lord, I don't know, I want to be sure this is you. I want to make sure that this isn't just some dream that I've had. And it's always good to make sure of things in life, especially of a spiritual nature, and to check them out by the word of God. Never mind what other people say. People say, well, I don't believe in hell. Why not? So that's what I was taught. That's what I believe. And so, well, that's not a basis for truth. The Bible is the only basis for truth. So Gideon said, God, I want to know that this is you speaking to me and not something made up. He said, God, I want a sign. And he asked God for a sign and he said, God, here's what I'm going to do. I have a fleece. You know what fleece is, animal skin. And I'm going to put the fleece out on the ground overnight. And if this is really you telling me that you want me to deliver Israel and you're going to help me do that, then God, in the morning when I go out, I want the fleece to be wet with dew, but the ground all around it, I want to be dry. That night, he put the fleece up. Woke up in the morning, probably very anxious to go out and look at the fleece. He gets out there and, oh, the fleece was wet. But the ground all around it was dry. Now, like so many of us, God, I'm still not sure. I want to know the sign. <laughs> I'm going to put the fleece out again tonight. But this time, I want the fleece to be dry and the ground all around it to be wet. And again, the next morning he went out, I'm sure very anxious, checked the fleece. And the fleece was dry. And the ground was all wet around it. And Gideon says, all right, Lord, I know it's you telling me to 
deliver Israel from these Midianites that are thorn in my flesh. You got something bothering you today? You got something that just, you seem to get ahead and all of a sudden something happens and it's gone. You seem to save a little money and it's starting to look pretty good in the bank and then something happens and it's drained. You seem to make some leeway. Then all of a sudden you find yourself sliding back. Gideon was up against that with the Midianites. And so Gideon was able to gather 32,000 soldiers. Now, that sounds like a lot, doesn't it? 32,000. But the Midianites were hundreds of thousands of soldiers with horses, chariots, uh, weapons of warfare, I mean, swords, spears, arrows, uh, everything. Israel didn't have any of that. He was able to get 32,000 men. But then something happened here in this, in, 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 in this passage of Scripture. For God came to Gideon, and Gideon knew that there were hundreds of thousands of the Midianites because in chapter 6, and, and notice verse number 5, it says, for they came up with their cattle and, and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude, for both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. He saw tens of thousands of men, camels and, and, and all, and Gideon's had no camels, I have no weapons, all I have is 32,000 other farmers just like me. But God says, I have a plan. And in chapter number seven, and I want you to uh, look at uh, verse number two. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are with thee, the 32,000, are too many for me to give the Midianites into your, their hands. Lest Israelites vaunt themselves against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. He says, you got 32,000. If you go against 32,000, against tens and hundreds of thousands of Midianites, you're going to say, boy, we were good. Boy, we were strong. Why did we beat them? And you're going to have an awful lot of bragging rights. And God says, you got too many. We're going to cut it down. And he says in verse 3, now, therefore, go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And they that returned of the people were 20 and 2,000. And there remained 10,000. Started off at 32,000. Uh, all of a sudden, 22,000 says, well, okay, you've given us a choice. We don't want to face this. We don't want to fight these battles. We don't want to fight these Midianites. We're out of here. Now he's down to 10,000. It was a hard enough task with 22,000. Now he's down to 10,000. How do you think he felt? <laughs> Have you ever had a situation that went from bad to worse? <laughs> They had a situation, but I can't make it with this. And now all of a sudden, what are we going to do now with this additional burden upon us? Uh, but God wasn't done yet. <laughs> God says, Gideon, uh, I, 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 I got some bad news for you. <laughs> he said, what's that? 10,000? That's still too many. 
And God says, I want you to bring the 10,000 down to the water and watch the men. It's going to be two types of ways they're going to drink of the water. There will be some that get down and put their faces in the water to, to drink the water. Then there will be some that take the water, bring it to their lips with their hands while they're looking around. And God says, you watch. And everyone that takes the water to their mouth, you choose, and the rest send away. And the Bible says there he was left with 300 men. From 32,000 to 300. said, God, how is this going to ever happen? Seems like an impossible task. And so it is with life. You look at your circumstances. How in the world am I ever going to get out of this? It just keeps getting worse and deeper and deeper and harder and harder. How in the world am I ever going to be delivered from all of this? I'm sure Gideon kind of felt that way. He was left with so little. He was so little. And God says, okay, Gideon, there's your army. But what are 300 against so many? Uh, but God still had more bad news for him. He says, those 300, he says, uh, you don't have any weapons. Don't have any swords. Don't have any spears. No shields. No bow and arrows. Nothing. So, but here's what I want you to do. God says, I want you to take those 300 men and I want you to divide them up into three groups, 100 in each of three groups. Then every man, I want to carry a pitcher, uh, like a water pitcher, and a candle and a trumpet, a horn to blow. Take those 300 men, 100 here, 100 there, 100 there, wherever they were put. And I want you to go up against the Midians. And when you come to the Midianites, Gabriel, not Gabriel, I'm sorry, Gideon, I'm thinking of trumpets or Gabriel. <laughs> Gideon was to blow the trumpet. And Gideon said, when you hear my trumpet blow, I want you all to blow your trumpets. And the candle you had under the pitcher, I want you to take the pitcher, and it was made of clay, and I want you to smash him to the ground, let the light up, and blow the trumpet. Well, you can imagine what that must have been like. Here the media, they're sleeping, peaceful. They were in the zone, resting out. And all of a sudden, there's this blast of a trumpet. Then 300 trumpets from all directions blew and crashing of the, of the uh, pitchers. And all of a sudden, the sunlight, the Midianites woke up, were disoriented, didn't know what to do. And they started fighting each other. They started killing each other. They ran away. And Israel won the battle. Isn't it amazing how God worked? Not one Israelite died. And the Midianites killed each other. Now, this is what I want to say. All you need in your life to get through is God. Now, you think, oh, no, I don't need God. I, I got a job. I can do this. And I'm, I'm a pretty smart person. And I could. Hmm. If you're really smart, you'll know you need God. 
if you totally surrender and fully dedicate yourself and say to God, here's my life. Here's all I have with the broken pieces. I don't know what your life is like, but many lives are broken pieces of their life. Why not pick up those broken pieces and bring them to Jesus today and let him put them back together again? Let him mend the heartbreak that you have. Let him mend the sorrow that you feel. Everywhere I go, there's broken hearts and sorrow and fear. And you know people like that yourself. And maybe you yourself also have experienced it. I'm talking about total to surrender to God. Listen, God has a plan and a place for you. He can and will use you if you're willing you see, all it takes is one person like Gideon. That's all it was. And there's someone here in this auditorium this morning that God wants to touch like he did Gideon. There's someone here that says, I can't do it. And God says, I know you can't. That's why I'm going to help you. He said, God, I'm not able. He says, I know you're not. That's why I'm, I'm here to help you. In the sports world, they have an expression. Maybe you're familiar with it. I got your back. I got your back. What does that mean? I mean, if you're dribbling down the floor with the ball, you don't have to worry about who's coming up because somebody on your team, they got your back. They're going to protect you. I got your back. And God is saying to Gideon, Gideon, don't worry about it. I got your back. I got your back. I'm going to see you all the way through. You see, just one person, and you could be a powerhouse. You can sit right down there. You could be a powerhouse for God if you'll surrender your heart and your life to him. You could turn America upside down. I believe that someone could be in this auditorium, maybe a young man. I know what you see in your life as a young man, as a young lady. I don't know. Do you see how God can use you? You see how you could say, I'm that one person. I can surrender to God. I'm that one person. God, if you help me and stand by me, I'll give you all that I have and trust you with my life. And you'll never regret it. You're a link in God's chain and God's blessing. Are you willing to say to God this morning, I'm willing? You said, but I'm only one, I'm insignificant. What can, what can I do? <laughs> it's like a snowflake. If it snows and you go out and you get a snowflake on the tip of your finger, what happens? Melts. And you say, ha, that's nothing to snow. Well, just keep watching. <laughs> what happens when all the snowflakes start cooperating? Shuts down cities and closes roads. You're only one. But you could be one with God's power upon you. There's a fellow by the name, I think his first name was George. His last name I know was Moffitt. He was a young man, maybe about the age of one of you fellows right here. And he was in a church service. And they were going to have an offering. And uh, he didn't have any money. And the usher came by. And they had a plate. 
And he looked at the usher and he said, sir, would you do something for me? Would you take the plate and put it on the floor? And the usher thought, my, this is strange. But the usher said, okay. And he put the plate down. And George Moffat stood up and said to God, I don't have anything to give you. And he stepped in the plate and said, I give you myself and offer myself to you. Now, we don't have offering plates like that today. But you get the point, I believe, of surrendering to God. They were in trouble because they fought God. Now they're in a realm of blessing because they served God. He was fully committed to the will of the Heavenly Father. Now, folks, wasn't that what the cross was all about? Didn't Jesus Christ come fully committed to do the will of his Heavenly Father? Did he not say, Father, thy will be done, even though he said, this is the darkest hour of my life. Let this cup pass from me. But he said, God, you have a plan for me. I want to do your will in my life. Complete, utter surrender to the will of his heavenly father. How surrendered are you to the will of God in your life? You have reservations? Why not get rid of them all and just say, God, you got it all. I'm surrendering it all to you. But you're going to have to pay a price. And I'm going to tell you what that price is. It's 100 full commitment and unconditional surrender. You don't make deals with God. You don't say, God, I'll do this if you'll do that. No, God, I'll do this no matter what. No matter. I'm, I'm talking about what Job expressed in the Bible and said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Can you trust God this morning with your life? Now, it doesn't mean you're going to get perfect. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> it doesn't mean you're going to get perfect. There are many battles to be fought and, and, there, and hard times to follow. Yes, you're going to fall. Yes, you're going to be in despair. Yes, you're going to face disappointment, even as a Christian. And oh, how the devil loves that. And to some of you, he might have already come to you and said to you when you fell, see, I told you you wouldn't do it. I told you you couldn't make it. I told you you would fail. He loves to throw it into your face. The time will come when you want to quit. And the question is, what are you going to do at that time? Are you going to stay down or are you going to get back up? You never lose a fight by getting back up again. Devil knock you down, you get up. And all you have to do to beat the devil, listen to me, all you have to do to beat the devil is get up one more time that he knocks you down. He knocks you down and you stay down, he wins. You get back up, you win. And the question, what are you going to do at that time? You're going to stay down or get up? Remember Peter? He boasted. Lord, these other 11 guys, don't trust them. Me? I'm okay. I'll stay with you. What did Jesus say to him? Peter, before that rooster closed tonight, you're going to deny me three times. 
If I were to say to you among the folks here tonight, and this is not a prophecy of me, of course, but I would say some of you would deny Jesus. You say, oh, not me, preacher. I love the Lord. I'm in church. I love God. Yeah, Peter probably felt the same way. But you know what happened as well as I did. He did deny Christ three times. And then a rooster sounded just as Jesus said. Can you imagine that sound in his ear? <gasps> what? And he looked at the face of Jesus. They must have been close to each other. Eyes locked on each other. The hurt on Jesus. I don't think Jesus looked at him and smirked and says, I told you so. But I think he was hurt. And you know what that feeling of hurt is from someone that you love. If I were to be harsh to my wife and she's got that look on her face, I understand that. And the Bible says Peter went out and wept. No. The Bible went out and says Peter wept bitterly. These weren't just some little ho 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 so sad to you. I mean, it was a bitter wailing and a bitter crying to God. What have I done? What have I done? Oh, I'm done now. God can never use me. I'm all finished. But God wasn't done with Peter, was he? When the day of Pentecost was fully come and the Holy Ghost fell, Peter received boldness from the Lord and preached a sermon and 3,000 people were saved, baptized, and joined the church. One person committed to God after a fall, coming back to the Lord, touched the lives of 3,000 others. What's God doing in your life? Is God moving you to be saved? You relied upon your own life. And I guess you can get by in living that way, but when it comes to dying, and I know what I'm talking about, as I'm here, my mind is in Waterbury Hospital. Five o'clock last night at dinner time, my wife and I received a phone call. One of my relatives was in the hospital. I didn't expect him to make it through the night. I don't know if he did or not. I haven't heard yet. We went down to the hospital. He stood by his bedside. He could hardly talk, hardly breathe. They went to operate on him and close him up. Too late. Waited too long. You might be able to live without God, but you won't be able to die without him. What's God doing in your life? You've heard the gospel. How many times have you heard the preacher? How many times have you seen the invitation? How many others have you seen come to an altar and kneel and pray? But you, you said, I'm all right. I'm okay. And deep down inside, you know you're not. The most wicked sin we could ever have, not killing, not murder. No, you know what the most wicked sin is? Pride. Pride. Too proud to say, God, you're right, and I'm wrong. I just I need to finish up here. What's God moving you to do? Christian, maybe God's using, moving you to do, do something for him. You say, well, what can I do? I'm old, and my days are past. Yes, I know the Bible tells us to number our days. I understand that. But God's not done with you yet. He still has a plan. And it's far better than what the devil could ever offer you. Remember one thing. If you don't get anything else from this message, get this. The devil is a liar. 
Did you get that? The devil is a liar. Jesus said not only is a liar, he's the father of lies. Why would you believe him? When God's offering you eternal life in heaven, that's night as I stood by that bedside. My cousin's name is Roger. He had professed Christ early on in his life, and we talked a little bit about that. And what assurance we were able to talk about that, Roger, soon you're going to die. He knew it. The family was all there, a large family, had seven children, then there were wives and husbands and brothers and everything that were there. I said, you're going to die. But you're not dying alone. Because the Bible says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You die without Jesus, you're going to die alone. <laughs> you die with Jesus. Ooh, what a joy it is to enter into glory. We talked a little bit that last night about what awaits him on the other side. And there is another side. What's God moving you to do? Are you interested in him? God's interested in you. Are you interested in him and his plan for you? Jesus died for you. Would you live for him? Honey, would you come to the piano, please? You know, folks, it's just you and God. You may face scorn. You may face ridicule. You may have to take a stand with your family. And I don't know all the background of everyone here, but... There may be a young man, a young woman here. Your mom and daddy, they're not Christians. They're not saved. They laugh at you coming to church. They mock you going to church. You're going to have to stand up for God and take your testimony and say, I, don't, I know what I believe in my heart, but you will not be alone. God says, I got your back. I will be with you. Look at Gideon. He never thought God would use just a farmer boy, but he found out going God's way, you can't go wrong. Moses, the same way in the backside of the desert. Not much. A murdering man. And yet God used him said, I'll be with you. Can you believe that God can use you? Are you willing to let God use you? He may not call you to a faraway mission, mission land. He might, but he might not. But you got a mission field in your neighborhood. Some of you have a mission field right in your home. God says, I'll be with you. You plus God make a majority. Can you believe that God can use you? Can you believe that God wants to use you? That when the day you came into the world, God had a plan for you. He has a plan for your life. And he has a plan for your death. But the choice is yours. That's what makes it hard. Because the devil will pull you one way and our pride will pull us another way. Why don't you just lean towards Jesus this morning and come and come to him this morning. I know what I'm talking about this morning. I've seen it over and over and some of you have seen it as well. I fully admit I'm not the most eloquent preacher to stand behind this pulpit. I just try to make plain, make plain the message of God and make it simple. That's all I try. I'll leave all the theological teaching to the theologians. I'm just Brother Sousa from the other side of Minor Mountain in Wilkin, Connecticut. <laughs> but I love Jesus and I want to serve him. 
I'm going to ask you to stand, please, and look up this way. You've been patient. You've been kind. But you, you will not find a better place to spend these last hour or so than right here in the house of the Lord among God's people. Now, what will you do? If you're here this morning, you say, Preacher, I'm not sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. Now, I'm not talking about, I think so. I got a good shot. I hope so. No, I'm talking about a no so. These things are written that ye may know ye have eternal life. You can know for sure, just as you know you're in church now, you can know for sure that at the end of your life, there's a heaven waiting for you. And you have never given your heart to Jesus. We're not saying baptized. We're not saying join the church. You get baptized over and over. You can join every church in town and still die and go to hell because no church died for your sins. Jesus did. And he shed his blood. And the Bible says that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not whosoever shall call on the Baptist church, Catholic church, Presbyterian church, Methodist church, no church. No, Jesus is the name. He's the Savior. The one and only one that can save you. Would you give your heart to him? Would you be willing to say to God this morning, God, I've sinned. Look, you know it. And he knows it. Would you give him your heart this morning and say, God, I've sinned. But I believe when you died, you died for me in my place. And I put my faith and my trust in you, dear God, today. Save my soul. Save my soul from hell. Uh, you have God's word on that. If you'll do the calling, Jesus will do the saving. But Christian, this morning, can I ask you once more, please, once more, a renewed dedication. God, if you could do that for Gideon, you could do it for me. I don't have, to offer, I don't have a lot to offer you, God. But whatever I have, it's yours. It may seem like an impossible task to you. But with God getting your back, you can do it. You can do all things through Christ. He strengtheneth you. I'm going to ask if God has touched your heart this morning. Right now, wherever you are in this auditorium, come out to this altar this morning. And by coming to this altar or sitting in the front row and getting along with God, die before God and say, God, I surrender all to you. God, I give it all to you. God, I surrender. I don't have much, God. I'm just like Gideon. I'm just a farm boy, God. I don't have a whole lot. But what I have, God, I want you to totally control. And what I have, I want you to totally have. See what God can do in your life. You say, I can't do it. You're right. But God says, I'll help you. If you'll go, I'll help you. And he'll see it. That you can do all that God wants you to do. We'll leave the altar open for a few more moments. These folks pray. And as I also pray for folks, I'm no different than anyone here at this altar. I need to do what they're doing in total surrender to God. And it's not too late not too late for you to come and say, God, I surrender it all to you. Give you my heart, my soul, and my life. Father, I thank you today that you don't need a lot of big people, smart people, strong people, talented people to do your work and will. You just need somebody that's willing. And Lord, folks have knelt at this altar and even now are kneeling at this altar. And saying, God, I'm in the offering plate. It's all yours. It's all yours. I can't do it, God. I need your help. And Lord, I pray if someone's here that's still struggling with sin, 
Being saved, God, fighting salvation. Oh, God, I pray before it's too late, before the day is over, that they would say, God, I fought you long enough, just like Israel, turned their back on you, did evil, but then cried unto you, and you delivered them. In the name of Jesus, I ask these things, and amen. Hymn number one hundred and.